brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Rep Radio on time, on target. As I mentioned, all of the last month, January, our podcasts were sponsored by Pelican Coolers. I'm doing one last read to let you know about everything going on at Pelican because the first time that I let you know about them, I, I wasn't really fully up to speed on the promotion that we have going on. So this is really your last shot. Pelican Coolers are hard-sided coolers that are all made in the USA. Most competitors, like Yeti, they're making their stuff overseas. Pelican coolers have an actual lifetime warranty, a wide variety of sizes and colors. If you go to the website, you're going to see 10 different sizes, 11 different color schemes, and I've posted some of those on our Instagram, at Radio. Really cool-looking colors that you're going to love, uh, no matter what you're, what you're looking for, really. Easy pull hard latches that aren't rubber bands like the other guys. Pelican is a trusted brand since 1976. Their 70-quart coolers can hold ice up to nine days. They're light. Other coolers weigh 30% more on average, uh, but they're going to really hold everything that you need. Built-in bottle opener under the lid, ergonomic handles, which make them easier to carry. And although you could find Pelican coolers pretty much everywhere, our offer is for their website, which is pelicancoolers.com, and use our promo code SOFTREP. What you're going to get with that is a free 22-ounce tumbler. These are awesome. Add the tumbler to your cart with your order, no matter what size cooler that you're getting, and use the promo code SOFTREP. Once again, that's pelicancoolers.com. Add that free 22-ounce tumbler with your order. You could find that in the drinkware section at the top. Make sure it's the 22-ounce one and use the promo code SOFTREP. In some areas of the country, it's it's great weather for a cooler. Here in New York, we're going to get there. So, you know, it's good to be prepared before the summer hits because it's going to happen before you know it. It was a nice day yesterday. It's actually nice out today, too. Very nice, yeah. It's very, very odd, the fluctuation of the weather. But I think the snow is coming again. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, I mean, before you know it, though, for most of the country, it'll be June, and you're going to want this. So pelicancoolers.com. Use the promo code SOFTREP uh, and get that 22-ounce tumbler. Really have been uh, excited to have them on board, and hopefully we'll do more with them because it's a great product, and uh, the stuff they sent us is absolutely awesome. If you go to the loadout room, you'll see all the reviews that were done for Pelican Coolers, and uh, I know Scott Whitner and all those guys are speaking really highly of their product. And like I said, in certain parts of the country, if you're in Florida, you're in parts of Texas and stuff like that, this is uh, actually a good time to get it. So uh, one last time, it's going to run out. So this is really your last chance. If you've been 
thinking of, of making that purchase, go do it, because I don't know when this is going to run out. It's our last read for them. PelicanCoolers.com, promo code SOFTREP. Go to the drinkware section. You'll see the 22-ounce tumbler. And, uh, man, they've just been great. I, I really uh, hope to do more with them, as I said. With that, we have Marine Corps Major Fred Galvin coming back on. Fred was last on episode 206, was also on episode 198. Those are up at SoftRepRadio.com. And if you want to hear the backstory as the commanding officer for the first Marsoc company, uh, him and his men were wrongfully accused of just heinous war crimes. But they've finally been vindicated, and it's been 12 years. Yeah. And a I've long, seen, hard-fought battle. You yeah, know? I, I, I've seen articles popping up everywhere about this. Uh, you know, it would have been couple. nice if we saw these articles showing up while they were in the fight. But yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing is at the time everyone just crucified Fred and his men, um, even though there was so much evidence to the contrary. And you know, I heard. I mean, I remember I told Fred this on a past episode. I heard this story. I heard the rumor mill story about Marsoc and what these guys did. Uh, back in like 2007. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was all floating around and it was all rumor and speculation. And then when the real story came out, it showed something completely different. Um, so, you know, a lot of times we report on news, the things that are negative and not very nice, um, and, you know, things that have to be said. But this is going to be what, episode like 430 or close to it. So, we're able to follow these stories over a long period of time. And I'm really glad that there are cases like this where we're able to come back and revisit a topic and update it. And, um, and, and there is a, apparently a happy ending to this. Yeah. I just refresh myself. It's episode 428, but I agree. It's good to give an update. Nick Hoffman did excellent yeah. work managing a lot editor. of reporting on this subject. Yeah. Editor in chief, I'd say at large of all the websites. Um, I don't know. I always get mixed up with whose position is what, as I know you do as well, but well, Nick, Nick is Nick, one of the editors. Yeah. Nick was working as a, as a writer at the time, yes. but uh, yeah, now he's kind of managing the, the umbrella of the company. Yeah. So he did amazing work with this um, and was really ahead of the curve. Uh, and also Walter Jones, congressman, did great work uh, before people were really on the side of these guys. Uh, before we get to Fred Galvin, I figured just a few really quick notes uh, that I wanted to get out there. I saw that Mike Schlitz was at the Super Bowl. If there's anyone who deserves to be at the Super Bowl, I would say it's him, and it looks like he had a great time. That's cool. So, yeah, I saw all those pictures up on uh, Instagram. And also, um, just to uh, clear this up, because we talked about this on a previous podcast, BK is still banned on Twitter because he has another Twitter for his uh, podcast, but he has thousands of followers that are now lost in... uh I don't know. The so he, he he's using an alternate account. Yeah, he's using BK Actual podcast, but B, at BK Actual, I, it doesn't even say suspended anymore. He might be permanently banned. What what did he do? I don't know. I was thinking we do have an opening next week. Maybe we'll get BK on All if right. you want. Yeah, because it'd be interesting to talk about this subject. I saw that Joe Rogan recently had on Jack, the guy who runs Twitter. Yeah, and people are kind of disappointed because he didn't go into like in depth on people being banned from Twitter. And he said he will the next time he has him on. But a lot of people were talking about, you know, these guys like Anthony Cumia, Gavin McGinnis, now our friend BK, who are, you know, gone on the platform. Like, what are the terms of use? What did BK do? I mean, did he did he violently threaten someone? I mean, that would be a that'd be a different story. Or is just BK making his wise ass tweets, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, and is that that's the barrier? That's the threshold now? You make a wise-ass remark that some kid working at Twitter doesn't like and they just suspend you? I, I saw that there were people apparently being banned. There was a guy who said... who There was a guy who's verified on Twitter, so it wasn't just some random account who said he knows people inside who work for Twitter. And apparently they were suspending people for tweeting at journalists, uh, go learn to code, but with all the layoffs. Now, is it a nice thing to say? No, but... Uh, Journalists worth... say mean things all the time. <laughs> yeah, but, it's, it's kind of crazy you know, to... Uh, thick skin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I did see uh, a little bit of that um, Joe Rogan podcast with, with its Twitter CEO, and, and, and I think Joe is pushing him a little bit like... Donald Trump threatens to like nuke entire countries on Twitter. How come you haven't banned him? And he was kind of like making this weird justification. Well, Obama said we'd retaliate against North Korea. You have to take it in context. And it's a huge difference, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a little bit different. I mean, I don't recall Obama jumping on Twitter saying like we're going to nuke that you know yeah. fat kid in North Korea. I don't remember that. Um, it's all just, I mean, it's their platform. It's a commercial platform. I guess they can ban whoever they want, but it seems like it's just kind of like whatever the mob decides when they wake up that day. You know? But they should say that because I didn't, I didn't listen to the whole podcast, but from what I heard, Jack, the CEO of Twitter said on that podcast that he looks at his platform as like a public utility and that you have a right to be on there. Now, if you feel that way, that is, that, that isn't, corresponding with the banning people right you know what i mean you don't you don't it would take a lot to to ban someone from owning a telephone or something a public utility like that so yeah i mean if you say something that someone doesn't like it's not like you cut off their fucking plumbing yeah you know (laughs) or you you cut their electricity uh you take away their driver's license you know i i I don't know that comparison doesn't really work for me yeah so i i'd like to get into it with bk he's just a all-around fun guy to follow on twitter so I guess you could follow at BK Actual Podcast, but uh, yeah, drop drop him a line, see if he wants to come on and talk about it for like 10, 15 minutes. I will because he has a decent following. He has several thousand, and now he only is a few hundred. And you know, this is, he he likes doing his podcast and getting listeners, and this is how he does it is through social media. So it it does screw him a bit. And I mean, I I, I understand he's a smart ass. I mean, so am I, but I don't see BK uh, like physically threatening anybody or anything like that. Yeah. I would agree. I may, and maybe it was one of those things where, like, he was sex, telling some journalists to learn to code and, and they banned. I would, that I would not. <laughs> yeah, ask I could see him, him saying yeah, that yeah. for sure. Uh, I'll ask him. I'll ask if he wants to come on next week because we have an opening. But uh, all right, let's get over to uh, Fred Galvin, unless there's anything else you want to get to. Uh, no, I think that's about it. Cool. All right, well, let's, uh, let's hear the update from him. Back on the show, Marine Corps Major Fred Galvin. If you guys listened to our previous episodes with him, 198 and 206, I feel like most of this audience is up to speed on what went down with MARSOC. Uh, I mean, for those who don't know, Fred Galvin was the commanding officer for, for the first MARSOC company. They were wrongfully accused of all types of heinous war crimes and have finally been vindicated after a 12-year fight. Those shows, 198 and 206, still up at softrepradio.com. We went really in-depth with everything, so if you want the full story, go back to those. But, I mean, this is really some good news yeah, that, that yeah. finally something has been done and and your names are cleared because, yeah. as you said to us, you know, people would Google your name and all sorts of crazy stuff and would come up. I, I know this was both professional and personal for you, Fred, and I, I just wanted to ask you, first off, I mean, how does it feel? I mean, this was a long fight for you. 
it's it's awesome and uh you know one example one of the marines can't say his name because he's still with the marine raiders uh currently his wife uh sent me a email this morning because uh you know this this means so much to them their their family was the only one that uh escaped without having you know divorce and you know i looked at him and his his three kids and you know see how much of a difference it made you know some people say you know 12 years isn't that long you've been retired for five years you know is, is that worth it and to me absolutely every bit of it is and uh i can't say enough for you know listeners that made a made a big push uh with the house resolution 21 this actually is go for an act of Congress with a gentleman named Congress, Congressman Walter Jones from yeah. North Carolina, who unfortunately is right now in hospice care. But uh, a lot of people put effort into it. This wasn't one or a few. This was a, a lot of concerned Americans saying, hey, this is wrong and this shouldn't happen to uh, folks that are uh, just serving the country. They're doing the right thing. But it's... Uh, that's, it is finally over. What, so. what does it say to you that it took 12 years for the military as an institution to reverse course? And even then, I mean, the Marine Corps, I mean, they dragged their feet on this like every single step of the way. And didn't it, it actually took the Navy to set things right, didn't it? Yes, and that that's exactly right. And it's kind of complicated because you started out with the Marine Corps not wanting to get involved in special operations whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then once Donald Rumsfeld, the Secretary of Defense, forced them to, they didn't provide any kind of logistical support for our company. So when you put a unit of a, you know, an actual task force, a, you know, something larger than, you know, an ODB. I mean, this this was a pretty pretty large unit, and you put them out in the, the most formidable terrain out in eastern Afghanistan, along the Afghan-Pakistan border and the Tora Bora Mountains, and then you, uh, you divide the company in a couple locations. That's you know, from from the get-go in such a politically sensitive area right there on the Afghan-Pakistan border in the wintertime that, you know, when you look at things, you, you look at the, you know, Desert One and how the very first, you know, Army Joint Special Operations Unit, yep. when you, you try to throw a Hail Mary right from the start, <laughs> you know, it's just like those British SAS guys, you know, when they landed back in Oman, you know, they laid that case of beer there on the runway. They knew they wrote on the top of it, you know, the guts to try, you know, we, what I think is probably one of the most disgraceful things is when other service members, you know, take their jabs at, uh, you know, the, their brothers in arms, the lads that, you know, gave everything to try, you know, but it's, uh, you know, that's, that's done and over. And you're right. You know, the Marine Corps from the beginning didn't want this. They really didn't get any kind of, they didn't use legal terms, I'll say. And the, after the trial, they waited four months and they did a Friday night news dump on the Memorial Day weekend. And yep. They used they didn't use innocent or not guilty or dismissed. Those are legal terms. They said acted appropriately. So the press just continued to run wild. And even after I retired seven years later, it was a we still just kept getting punched and punched uh, continuously in the press until I retired and that gag order was lifted and I. I went to uh, set the record straight, and that's what the Department of the Navy did this last year in 2018. Uh, I submitted a petition. Uh, was the Marine Corps, a very self-righteous organization. They're the only service that until this last year has never allowed an individual to be president at a Board of Correction of Military Records. So um, Congressman Jones fought and tried to, tried to allow me to 
you know, be present to defend our case. But uh, so that it was absolutely sterile and uninfluenced. There was no guy with a sick grandmother. You know, it was a defense and a government, you know, attorneys, and they took it all the evidence and, and they made a decision that was 100% uninfluenced. And that's what came out this past month in January 2019, where, uh, you know, the Department of the Navy, you know, senior panel of civilian leaders, not uh, not people wearing uniforms that can be, you know, influenced on their career, but these are uh, senior leaders in the Pentagon, and they, they wrote a very scathing indictment of yes. those individuals. And they, they named names, um, and if you put that in your show notes, your readers can read that, but, you know, it actually listed who, you know, those conspirators were that uh, sabotaged our our unit and continued to do it and you know they said that you know that investigation was either gross negligence or it had a predetermined outcome right in my opinion it had both both so it was prejudicial from the very beginning absolutely was and that wasn't just you know from the you know theater special operations command that when it got turned over to Naval Criminal Investigative Service and it was under the convening authority of the Marine Corps, you know, unfortunately the Marines sick 45 criminal investigators out there. And, you know, you can see this ABC Los Angeles, you know, you, your uh, listeners can Google search, you know, this case, ABC channel seven in LA and listen to a, one of the Marines, you know, talk about how his family was threatened to be deported uh, which is, violates our constitution for anyone that's native born or naturalized. Yeah. And it scared this, scared this poor young Marine who was, you know, his crime was that he legally, you know, immigrated and legally enlisted in the Marine Corps during a time of war and wanted to serve and serve in force recon and special operations and got blown up. A, a van detonated, you know, five feet in front of his vehicle. And, you know, then they, they interrogate him and squeeze him, give him the choice between, you know, his blood family and his brothers in arms and that kind of, you know, moral hazard can't just be swept under the rug. That's unreal. Why do you think the Marine Corps was just so stubborn? Like they did, they obviously did not want to admit even years down the line after, you know, the chain, uh, the commands had rolled over different, different personalities. They still did not just, they could not bring themselves to come forward and say, we got it wrong. And we want to fix this. We want to fix the glitch. They couldn't even bring themselves to say that. You know, this, some of this is just assumption, but, uh, you know, of course, some of the facts you know, that I'm going to talk about with assumption, the facts are, you know, you know, we have a huge, you know, expense in the United States, and that's, that's our debt. And, you know, we have a lot of uh, money going all over, but the, the biggest part of our budget is defense and um uh, you know, there's this famous Marine Corps general who, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, he was fighting wars, and he wrote a book after he got out called "The uh, War Is a Racket." Yes, this Medley Google Butler. This guy did. Yes, Medley Butler, and he just talked about you know the fourth branch of the federal government, the defense complex, <laughs> and and now we just see this. I mean, you know, what general that has three or four stars retires? You know, it's it's kind of like a never leave a general behind. You know, they all go to work for several boards. They're making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, I mean, when you fly into either Reagan or Dulles, what do you see on the top of every building? Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed. Mm -hmm. I mean, they all buy their generals and admirals. And I think that's a conflict of interest. Uh, We, you know, 
they've termed these the forever wars. I mean, are you telling me that, you know, 73 years ago we had an unconditional surrender with the Empire of Japan you know, that had battleships, aircraft carriers? I mean, the the mindset of never surrendering. These are people that were brutal, and but they surrendered on the yeah. starboard side midship in Missouri. And here, you know, after, you know, we've been, we've just entered our 18th year of war in Afghanistan. The guys wearing flip-flops, you know, using, you know, rifles made in the forties and homemade explosives. And we are entering, you know, negotiations with the Taliban is we all we're talking here. We fully understand that's, Surreal. that's a surrender. That's us not being able to get it done because our strategy failed. Yes. And then who's, who's to benefit those guys that become board members and sell, you know, these, uh, F 35s that constantly have problems and these V 22s that, you know, all these things that, you know, continually need to be refined and you're dependent on this, but you know, the young lads that are out there picking up their buddies, pieces of them, you know, putting them in bags and, uh, having to pick up the pieces of these guys that, you know, the marriages fail, they're, they're blinded, they're blown up. And I mean, those guys, they didn't fail at doing their job. They, they did it and they did it faithfully. And, uh, you know, it's the consequences for those guys, the frontline foot soldiers is, is terrible. And the ultimate no accountability of it is that those generals and admirals will all get another star. They'll all move up to the chairman of the joint chiefs before they retire and sit on the boards of these, you know, massive defense companies. And I, uh, I, I know, you have been very, um, I think, cautious and correct in sticking to the facts of this story all along, Fred. And now, now it's kind of said and done. Um, you, get, you and your men have been exonerated. And I do want to push you a little bit further. You've alluded to it, but I want to push you. If, we were, if you were to speculate, if, why was this conspiracy against Marsoc hatched? Why, why was this story, this, this sustained injustice perpetuated for so long. And I, I know that you have to have some thoughts about that and specifically why it went down like this. And I, I was just wondering if you would be willing to, even if it's on the understanding that this is uh, conjecture rather than fact, if you could talk a little bit about why you think that happened. You know, I, I have thought a lot about that over the years. Some of the things that I do know, uh, there are facts and now I'll go into some assumptions, but it was a fact the Marine Corps resisted in 2001 when Rumsfeld said, Hey, I want all of the components of special operations command to expand capacity. Well, the green Berets added a battalion per yeah. group. The Navy SEALs added teams on both coasts with team seven and eight. I mean, it was the special ops community was growing business. Rapid and expansion. Marine Corps. Y- yes, it, absolutely. Not just in, size but in capability and capacity and programs and and that was very successful i mean you look at what happened in afghanistan in the early years with what the green berets and air force special operations did and it was it was runaway success mm-hmm. and that's what donald rumsfeld saw and he wanted to reinforce that you know like hey here's unconventional warfare this is how it should be applied and we were winning but one of the problems was on the marine corps side of the house there you know, you had force recon platoons that were fighting some tough battles in Western Iraq, just, you know, policing up bad guys and stacking them up like cordwood. And we had a lot of success out there for year after year. And then, um, you know, the Marine Corps was trying to pacify this because you go all the way back to World War II and you had the Marine Raiders and President Franklin Delano Roosevelt created that organization, forced it on the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps did not want it. And while he was, Roosevelt was still the president, 
they disbanded it. You know, so in 1944, two years after they'd been fighting in combat, you know, with one sentence, you know, a comment on the Marine Corps said it's not in the best interest of the Marine Corps to have an elite within an elite. So now you fast forward <clears throat> into the 21st century and you have the same kind of mentality. The Marine Corps is resisting, telling Rumsfeld no. You know, the Marine Corps thought, you know, Bush and Rumsfeld would be a one-term team. It ended up that he that wasn't. In 04, he got reelected. And the first thing after the election in 05, Rumsfeld said, Marine Corps, you're going to stand up a special operations command. And so that order came in 05. We were the first task force that stood up in 06, and we deployed in 07. And, you know, I equate it like in The Godfather. You have a, you know, he, you have the SECDEF, Donald Rumsfeld, Secretary of Defense, and, you know, he had this arranged marriage between General Brown, the commander at the time of U.S. Special Operations yep. Command and the Marine Corps, um, who General Hagee, he was a comment on the Marine Corps. He didn't, neither of them wanted this arranged marriage and we were the one that was birthed and, uh, you know, they, they wanted to terminate the life of this, this baby. Uh, so we go and they put us in the oddest place in Afghanistan. And this is, if you go back in history, it's not that far, but if you look at what was going on in 06 and 07, and this is kind of interesting. Um, you saw full length, paid ads in the New York Times calling General Petraeus. They, they ran ads in the New York Times saying General Petraeus. I remember he was that. Ur- yeah, urging a surge of forces into Iraq. So while Afghanistan became the economy of force mission and looked, you know, phenomenal, like nothing was happening, and there was a little resurgence that was going on in, in 05, but, uh, you know, we had put them on their heels. But in that Iraq, it was a totally different story. It was turning into a really bad, bloody situation. And then you started having the political situation occur with, you know, accusations, not just Abu Ghraib, the big famous one, but, you know, your listeners are probably familiar with the Haditha situation sure. and, you know, Congressman Jack Murtha from Pennsylvania slamming yeah. these Marines. He himself was a Marine in Vietnam. And he said, you know, these Marines killed these innocent Iraqis in cold blood. And when you do that during a criminal investigation, I mean, how, how are guys supposed to get a fair shake? How is that the presumption of innocence? And you had these cases like going, going on like that with Navy SEALs. You had it going on another situation in Iraq with Haditha or Hamdaniya. Uh, Abu Ghraib was them, the big one, though. Yeah, Abu Ghraib was the biggest one. But then, I mean, look, fast forward to now. I mean, the guys who are really out there still not just training but fighting, you see, you know, Major Goldstein, you know, you have Army Green Berets, you have uh, <clears throat> Navy chiefs and who are SEALs, you know, you know, getting carted off, uh, read their rights, taken into jail in the brig. I mean, this is this is becoming the scene that America, who depends on a strong, not just a military, but a strong one. What American parents and their children want to say, hey, that's that's what I want for my son. I mean, there's a lot of and. And it's a special breed of person that decides, hey, I want to just not just serve in the military, but in special operations and face the risks and the ridicule and the criticisms that come with that. That's a that's a type A person. So but we we did have uh, some issues in the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps didn't want to support this. They didn't give us any of the support personnel whatsoever. So when you put somebody in an austere environment with zero support personnel, well, course you're going to fail and uh, you know as you know and uh, i was raised in the, in the catholic church and 
you know, there's beliefs that you're taught, you know, when you're growing up in a small parish and attending Catholic schools, that there's the infallibility of the Pope. And the Marine Corps also has a little bit of that. And I'll, I'll, I'll compare the Marine Corps, you ask, like, my opinions, and some Marine Corps is kind of cultish, and a lot of things in special operations are. But sure, the Marine is. Corps, I mean, we don't have a, you know, a song, or anything. we have a hymn. And we believe, you know, <laughs> they believe like the infallibility of the Pope and Catholic Church. We believe in the infallibility of, you know, not just the commandant of the Marine Corps. I mean, look how people revere General Mattis and everything. People yeah. think, you know, he's St. James. And they think that, you know, a Marine Corps general is infallible and don't say anything. When to, if you tell a Marine, you know, to say something bad about a general, it will not happen. I mean, that's basically, that's like barbecuing a bald eagle on a baseball diamond on the 4th of July. It's, like, it's completely unpatriotic. And people will, like, stone you in this day and age. I mean, that's the one sacrosanct thing. And people can kneel in an anthem, but they're definitely not going to, you know, bad mouth General Mattis or a Marine. But when you have absolute power like that, yes, and, you know, people, some people told me, like, well, General Conway, who's a comment on the Marine Corps, he stood up for you guys. And I was like, well... Actually, he had some conversations with General Pace, who at the time, I mean, General Conway was a commandant in 07, and General Pace was the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. And General Pace, if you, and I can send you the stuff for your show notes, but sure. uh, General Pace said in April of 07, during an ongoing criminal investigation, that, that he discussed this matter with Marsoc with the commandant, and the commandant was clearly disappointed in those Marines. So, when Marines are going to go to a military trial and the commandant is clearly disappointed. Yeah. And this isn't like a jury of your peers in the civilian world where, you know, they're uninfluenced. This is, I mean, there is def in the military. If you want to get promoted and it's an up and out organization, so you just can't stay in at the same rank forever and collect a paycheck, like a lot of jobs out in the civilian world. So you're either, you depend on getting promoted or your career is over. And so, you know, a panel of your peers, is it truly, you know, unbiased when you have the commander weighing your own pace? Yeah, making statements like that to the press. So, you know, the thing is with the infallibility theory, you know, you, people don't go back. They're, they're not going to say, whoops, I, you know, I made a mistake. Tell, yeah. tell me, yeah, tell me a case where any, you know, military general or admiral has said, Oops, we put that one in the bleachers, and you know that I don't know. I mean, tell that's me a fair if, point. if I'm wrong. But, well, so, but that's the that led to a lot of problems with. But there, there was also case. the 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 factional and political aspect of this that you mentioned that the Marine Corps just did not want you guys and. I mean, did, did you get the feeling also that the army didn't want you guys because they see you as kind of encroaching on our territory as, as special operations? Good point. And I'll even go a step further with the geopolitical. And I'm not some, I, I did get into a PhD program, but I'm not some big brain. But when you talk about, you know, the haters and it's haters are going to hate. There's a lot of people that jealousy inside the special operations community, but you take sure. one layer out above in the political world, 07, what do we have? Well, we had exactly what's going on right now, 2019, the start of, you know, a, a primary election for the presidency. And, you know, everybody in 07, it was, look, George Bush brought us, he lied and got us into Iraq. And I'm not trying to 
say one way or another other than saying what certain parties were yeah. saying. You know, so what was going on was he lied to get us in Iraq. Now we're uh, surging over 100,000 Americans into Iraq, and people are bleeding and dying. And look at all the money that we're spending, and we're getting nowhere. And now, look, we've got Marines killing civilians in Haditha and in Hamdaniya in all these terrible war crimes cases. And now, oh, and this is gearing up, you know, the the Republicans had the White House in 07, and, and people were making these accusations against, you know, the GOP because they were the ones in power. Now, look, we've got Marine, United States Special Operations Marines killing civilians, the largest body count of civilian casualties in Afghanistan. I mean, so I didn't realize at the time, being a young guy from growing up in Kansas, but we were pawns that, you know, people were putting these pieces together, connecting the dots and these data points and saying, and blaming, you know, this, we were a political pawn and a tool for people to, you know, criticize. And the General Kearney's went to the Washington Post and the New York Times repeatedly and threw us under the bus until Congressman Walter Jones, you know, heard General Nicholson, Colonel Nicholson at the time, you know, making a, a televised, you know, speech to the Pentagon press corps and said, this is a terrible, terrible mistake. This is a stain on our honor. He apologized on behalf of America. I mean, this is during a criminal investigation, which he says in that same interview, I can't talk about this because there's an ongoing Naval Criminal Investigative Service investigation. It's like, well, you just, you said that these Marines killed 19 civilians and wounded people. I mean, how... I don't know how they got got promoted four stars, or you know, he has not been investigated. But um, <clears throat> were they hoping you know, was, that this was going to shut down Marsoc permanently? Like this was just going to knock the Marine Corps right out of the special operations game? You know, that would be assumption. In it, but I think you know, I mean, we did hear General Major General at the time Halick, who was the commanding general of Marine Special Operations Command. He he went around to different commands, and you know, there was sadly. Uh, forgive this moral sin that there was a Marine in the Philippines, you know, doing a, a training mission with the Philippine special operations who had rolled his sleeves on his military uniform, oh, rolled hell his no. sleeves up, you know, to where it's in the middle of his forearm. And, you know, the general was so outraged. He made a statement all across Marsoc that if he saw, and this was shortly after our uh, incident in Afghanistan, that he was going to uh, disband the organization, but when you look at some of the other telltale signs, and as a reconnaissance marine and a special operator, you are trained not only to see what is seen, but you're to report what you the unseen. You know, we don't see you know infantry fighting vehicles on the battlefield. The, the commander needs to know what is seen and unseen. And what I mean by that is, you know, what was going on in 06 and 07 and 08 when we, you know, were standing up the Marine Special Operations Command that I was told we are not going to procure any additional weapons, even though we had manpower that grew from, there was 300, roughly 300 Force Recon Marines in the Marine Corps in, in 05, and then we we're expanding to 2,650. So, you know, the weapons for 300 guys, you know, can't outfit, you know, 2,600, but there's like, hey, I think they planned on this being short-lived. And you mm-hmm. say, well, Galvin's making an assumption. Well, no military construction. That's the key to when you start 
you know, when you shift from like we were from living in trailers, you know, that's temporary and that can easily go away. Like the Marine Raiders World War II. Like did. that one but we that, actually, that stands up for, you know, yeah, a deployment like, and then it's gone. Right. But when you actually put concrete down, when you, you know, the government approves military construction, there's capital expenditures that yep. go into the earth and permits and that is permanency. And none of that was, you know, initially it took years for that to develop. And, uh, you know, finally, I think, you know, with a new administration after 08, there was that acceptance that MARSOC is going to be here to stay, even after Rumsfeld and Bush had left. Uh, and, you know, when you look at it, thing, I, I mean, I, I don't harbor resentment. I mean, the Marine special operators are out there deployed dozens of locations around the globe yeah. right now with, with their brothers and doing incredible work. And yep. the risk in lives, it's... What they're doing is amazing. I saw them in the Philippines, like, uh, like what, 2017. And I mean, they're over there building relationships with the Philippine Marine Corps. I mean, they're, they're out there doing great stuff. Yes. And you're right. A lot of people don't know about, you know, what's going on in the Philippines. And there's a, there's a fight over there right now that, you know, is largely ignored, but it's, uh, it's those Marines, you know, there's, there's green Berets and seals and others around the globe doing what they do. And, it just took time to accept. <clears throat> and, you know, there was stigma that, you know, guys, I heard this and, you know, unless somebody was there like at, at the ambush site and then you shut your mouth, you're not an eyewitness. You're just, and again, you know, when you're criticizing somebody that, you know, was in the arenas, Roosevelt said, you know, it's, you know, that's to me, that's the lowest form of, you know, cowardice is, you know, you're kicking somebody for something that you don't even know about. You don't even have the facts. You're, right. It's just conjecture. It's, and there is too much of that. But this Department of the Navy report, which Nick Kaufman wrote about, that uh, came out in the beginning of January last month in 2019, 12-page report. And, again, that was a panel of senior Navy civilians that didn't have any person from the defense actually present at all. There was just a petition that was submitted they looked and examined the whole case in 2018. And, you know, like my attorney said, he's like, Fred, they normally have a one page final report that comes out. That's so vague. You don't even know what the case is about. <laughs> they, they went into 12 pages that said, you know, that investigation was either the investigator was either grossly negligent or had a predetermined outcome. And, and it talked about another case I wanted to bring up Please. that is tan- tangential because you know, some people think, you know, this guy must be crazy. He, he volunteered, you know, after this Marsoc case, yeah, I immediately went overseas. It was permanently assigned, you know, for over a three-year assignment overseas. And I went to Afghanistan from there again. And uh, we were involved in this other situation when I was operations officer of a recon battalion in the, in the upper Sangin Valley. And, uh, you know, battalion commander led to dropping a 500-pound bomb 36 meters away from a, you know, recon platoon that was... Uh, being enveloped and it was a bad situation and the department of the Navy, you know, made some very scathing comments on that, uh, the decision of the battalion commander who, who told me after the, he, he didn't just drop a 500 pound bomb. He also dropped, you know, after that reinforced it with two high Mars rockets. Those are 675 pound warheads. Those are grid square killers, aren't they? Yeah. And so our guys, Little did we know, you know, as an operations officer and the fire support coordinator, these guys were in a, a ditch 
that the map didn't have this micro train and we didn't have an ISR feed showing us the, you know, the live video of these guys down there. So we thought they were in the open, just duking it out with Taliban. And, uh, you know, I thought, Hey, this guy's given our own lads a death sentence when we had four pound laser guided, you know, shape charges, which use overpressure to kill that don't blast shrapnel three dimensionally. And we also had a tent. So we had a Griffin, which is a laser guided four pound, uh, high explosive charge. And we had a hellfire, 10 pounds laser guided immediately available. You know, the commander, Nope, I'm going to go with the 500 and the 675 pound. You know, it's sad because those Marines were not ever medically evaluated for traumatic brain injury. And a horrible thing happened two years ago when a young Sergeant Stevenson, who came back after he was not medically evaluated, he left the military, uh, was trying to get help at the VA, but nothing was in his medical record started to self-medicate, kept telling his mom and dad he's going to blow his fucking brains out. And after his mom scheduled an appointment with the wizard the following morning, which he had an appointment for, his girlfriend walked into his apartment down in Louisiana uh, April, almost two years ago, and uh, found him hung, that a young sergeant who'd gotten out hung himself. So this is a reality that happens, and when commanders that are responsible for that, that you know make these statements to me directly afterwards, it, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice the lives of these Marines. Well, you know, I was a platoon commander in Fort Creek kind of in the height of the insurgency in Iraq, and I've gone through many breaches and been in some bad places, and I realized Marines' lives, you know, we're, we're at war. When you want to wave old glory somewhere, you know, there's guys that have to put bullets in people's heads, and that's accepted. I, I got it. But to needlessly make decisions that are needlessly going to kill American lives that is immoral. Yes. And that's what that Navy report, it used words as immoral, unjust, unprofessional. So that commander who, he didn't just, you know, have a successful combat deployment as he wanted, but they gave him a bronze star. Again, never fired his weapon. Gave him a bronze star, you know, came back, got promoted to colonel, uh, went to not just top level school, but the Naval National Defense University in Washington, D.C., the most prestigious one. And then it's assigned to a joint staff billet in the Pentagon, and he's at MARSOC. He's about ready to take command of a 06 command in MARSOC. So, you know, but the the sad thing is that the Pentagon, that report, you know, people say, well, what's the difference now? You know, you've had some things with Congress and the press, but this is from the Pentagon, and it is substantiates that wrong was conducted. It names names, and it's not just a media, and to include Nick Coffin. Nick wrote the most detailed yeah. report and, you know, I applaud him for his, you know, courage and, you know, our relationship goes back to 2016 when I was in grad school and, you know, in this residency over in China and I sent him 10,000 pages of, <laughs> you know, classified courtroom statements and, you know, the poor guy, you know, it was largely redacted to so all the nouns. You know, he didn't know the names, and you know, I was from Shanghai and Beijing. I was sitting there, you know, this is who this is. And, but, you know, he has written, and your fans really should go back in there and read yeah. Nick Coffin. It's like a 10 or 12-part story. story. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's written what is like over, I think it's over 220 word document pages. It's a full, thorough account. And some people, you can't say he paraphrased, because he just has <laughs> literally the transcripts from the courtroom you know, scratched out secret, no foreign. So it's just page after page and you can't argue. That's, that's not a paraphrase. It's the actual, 
verbatim transcripts. So there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, they just bury their head in the sand. And when you have that as an institution and when your mindset is protect the institution at all costs, despite, you know, these, you know, frontline foot soldiers that can be looked at as cannon fodder, that's a moral hazard in America. And it's not a, you know, right-wing or left-wing issue. I mean, people get so politicized and like, what side of the camp? Hey, this is a national defense issue. And how, there's how so you, many people that just have to tie it to a party and they don't understand that, you know, the right and the left, you know what they're attached to? It's the same dirty, crooked bird, whether you're uh, an extreme on either end. I mean, you can't, this is America. And that is the lives of Americans that are, when you accept to just blow up young men, that is, that's immoral. And when I have to defend myself again, like I did at Marsoc, that second case with a polygraph, not from any Joe, but the president of American Polygraph Association, that commander said not once, but twice to me, Fred, I'm willing to sacrifice the lives of these Marines and I need to make sure you're going to do the same thing in all future occasions. I mean, that, that has to be accounted for. We can't have commanders, but we do. They're out there right now, still yeah. in circulation. So, Fred, how does this make you feel about the, uh, I know you're, you know, the, I feel like you are, are, I'm trying to find the words. I'm sorry, but I know, you know, a Marine is a Marine. It's, it's so embedded in your identity, but I mean, after going through all of this, how do you feel about the Marine Corps, about the military as an institution? Like, has it shaken your, your faith? Yes and no. I mean, you, you see that, that foundation fracture, and, you know, you see, like, this is, this is really bad, you know, but you, I mean, there, you know, on your staff, you got, you know, Army, you got Navy special operators, and, you know, me as a Marine special operator, you're trained, you know, especially if some guy was in a commander's in extremist force, or you go through a close quarter battle training you know, you taught the psychology of what's going to happen in your body. And, you know, you taught about the enemy in extreme detail of how he, his mindset and his radicalization has gone. And, you know, and I will say this, you know, I haven't said it before, but, you know, I, last May, before any of this was finally cleared, you know, I, uh, I went back to serve in the Marines. I'm, I'm there right now. And, you know, oh, like wow. the 12 page report when, when my attorney told me like, Hey, the government contacted me and it looks like something's positive because they said it was unanimous, but they wouldn't say. So I said, well, if it is favorable, is what I told my attorney. And see, I was forced out at the 27 year mark in the Marine Corps. Like I said before in this interview, it's an upper out organization. So if you don't get promoted and I was fighting to get promoted when I was in, because I wanted to stay in and continue to serve, but I was, I was forced out at you know the 27 year mark in 2014. So you know, I, I told my attorney, I said, if this is positive and they can clear my record, I want to go back in and and serve on active duty uh, in the Marine Corps again. And I've I've asked for that. And so they're they're having a panel uh, later on this year to uh, screen my records to see if uh, they will promote me. And if they do, you know, I've I've formally asked uh, headquarters Marine Corps officer promotions, <clears throat> you know, to return to service. I've submitted the uh, list of available assignments that are out, out there available right now to hopefully, you know, here this year, by the summer, hopefully, you know, be back in uniform and serving. And I don't say that to boast, but I really mean is, 
in special operations, you're taught to never quit, never surrender, never die to the last, you know, breath, you know, last cartridge to the last cell in your body. You know, you fight, you don't just ignore something and, you know, pull chocks and retreat. I mean, we do have immediate action drills where, you know, you, you have to disengage, but, you know, here's something that, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm in a capacity, you know, full-time with the Marine Corps right now. And I see, you know, Marines who join for the right reasons and they want leadership and they need leadership. I see this young Marine here today, you know, he's, you know, he's just so motivated and, you know, they, they look for leadership and, you know, are you going to step back? That's why I've always, when guys said, yeah, the situation's all messed up. I'm going to get out. It's like, Hey, that's exactly what the turds that are in the military want you to do because they're, that means they're going to get promoted in the military. And they kind of want some people that are malleable. that will do whatever, uh, because those leaders know that they can manipulate them. And we need people you know, that have strong character, not the jellyfish leadership. And uh, so I, I don't think you can avoid the problem. I think you continue to attack. Exactly. Uh, and that's just what I'm doing. So this is unreal. So you're going back on active duty right now. I have requested officially through the Marine Corps, and it's, you know, they are assembling a panel to look at my case, and they will uh, see if, it depends on my promotion. And then you know, the second step after that is reinstatement. I have officially asked to, and I'm, I'm full-time government employee for the Marine Corps right now. And I just want to put the uniform back on. I had read so, that they recommended you for promotion to Lieutenant Colonel. Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> that is correct. And that's the department of the Navy. Okay. So the Marine Corps, you know, the, the legal process is they convene a, a panel and those officers will screen my records. So that, uh, that adverse information, which by the way, you know, the Marine Corps said, you know, these Marine, nothing adverse or there's no adverse administrative or judicial action. And it's like, that's again, you know, people are like, well, why are you mentioning all this? It's like, because you have to, you know, it's like, we live by recon creed and it, you know, and like in the Marine Corps, him, you know, it's like, you have to keep your honor clean. You have to call people out. It doesn't make a difference what rank, you know, but you cannot believe that people are either infallible or their rank entitles them to a free pass. That's, that's unethical. How, and, how long of a, of a process do you think it would be it, for, for them to go through with this? So they, they basically told me, you know, here in less than two months, that board will convene and they'll make a decision. And then that say it, if it is, uh, favorable for me. And I believe it will because that adverse material is removed from my record. So other than that, I, my record stands very, very strong in my opinion. And so say it's favorable, then it has to go through the legal channels all the way up to, you know, subcommittee of the Senate, which approves every, all the promotions. Uh, they, they will look at, uh, this case on an individual basis because I'm, I'm one individual. It doesn't go through the normal process because they're going to actually, if, if I'm found, to be, uh, you know, worthy of the promotion, they're going to backdate it to, you know, when I first was not selected and I'd be promoted in the year group of my peers back, uh, in 2012. So be backdated. Uh, as it says in the department of the Navy report, and they'll, uh, provide the back pay and entitlements, which, you know, that's that I'm not doing it for the money. And, you know, I know the Washington Post just wrote this article, and I'm like, Fred Galvin's the only one that's done this. 
and his team. And it's like, well, I was the only one that continued to serve that was not promoted. So it's you didn't have a choice. The little questionnaire, yeah, and the questionnaire that everybody else marked NA because it was not applicable <laughs> in their case. And was, I, I had submitted this application while I was still in for the purpose that I wanted to continue to serve, but I was denied twice. And then now, you know, uh, the tides had changed. So, um, you know, the panel, the Department of Navy looked at this again and uh, uninfluenced, like I said, it, there was not a, a, a personal appearance hearing that was allowed. And, uh, you know, the panel of civilian senior leaders in the Department of Navy made that decision. And I'm, I'm happy that it was very favorable. I encourage, I'm not just pumping Nick Coffin up, but read what he wrote. And at the very bottom, he's got a link. And it's the entire 12 page final report from the Department of Navy in none of your listeners, I dare any of them can say that they found something that came out of the Pentagon that has such a scathing indictment on senior officers that did something so corrupt, not just in one incident with Marine special operations, but on a second event in combat in 2011 in Sangin Valley, you know, and it just names names and lays out the situation. You read this thing and you're just like, how come the Navy, they made this decision last October. You see the date at the very top of that letter and you're like, wow, that says October 30th, 2018. And why did they wait so long? And, but the convening authority when this Marsoc case happened, yeah, I don't believe that anybody's infallible. We shouldn't. The convening authority was Lieutenant General Jim Mattis at the time. And why, you know, if you look at this report, which I have here in my hand, and the very last page, you have a general counsel for the Department of Navy uh, senior executive service uh, lady who signed this reviewed and approved and it's dated on the very last page January 2nd, 2019 that may not mean so much to everybody but that's the next business day after General Mattis or Jim, Secretary James Mattis left office on uh, the 31st of December this last year so uh, you know while some people were in there I mean this thing just waited around oh, wow. and whether it was yeah whether it was because of the secretary who was personally involved in this in the past did right or wrong all i'm saying is there's people's names in this report right now that did wrong in the marine corps and the department of defense has done nothing what do they do they talk about <laughs> dropping bombs and saying that they're willing to sacrifice people's lives and what's going on well they've been promoted and then they're in line to get command this summer of marine raiders at uh, 06 command. So, you know, your listeners, you know, the so what is, you know, just like we did, you know, here these last few years with House Resolution 21, they can go on, you know, www.gov uh, or www.congress.gov and contact their members of Congress and, you know, get on Nick's, you know, last one here from January 2019, go to the bottom, click the link, print this off, and just meet kneecap to kneecap with, you know, their elected official and say, hey, sons and daughters of America are being led by these guys. And what in the hell are we doing about it? Nobody has been held accountable. And I That's think, what your listeners. I, I think Americans just across the board don't realize just how bad it is. And, and, you know, you mentioned that infallibility. 
And, uh, you know, Americans, I think, for a lot of the right reasons, respect their military. But with that respect comes the sort of hero worship um, and the, uh, yes. the not questioning uh, how our young men and women are being led overseas and not questioning deeply enough the um, inherent strategies and tactics being employed abroad. Yes. And, you know, some people criticize, oh, from both sides, you know, Donald Trump wants to leave our, you know, Iraq and, or Afghanistan and Syria. And it's like, well, I can see a strategy of keeping forces, you know, poised in case they're needed in Iran or in China, but to just continue to fight forever, yeah, uh, a forever war, you know, where, you know, if it were their sons or their daughters and they were not just in uniform, but on the front lines, they'd probably have a different opinion. Well, as you said, uh, it, it's unethical and immoral. Yes, that is correct. And it's, you know, if, if we're effective, it's one thing, but, you know, we've been trying to get the Afghans to stand up and fight on their own. And, and we realize that if, if it's not our money and, you know, we're not over there doing the fighting, it's largely, you know, a lost cause. And what is going on now after we've entered and going on to our, you know, you know, we've been there for over 18 years and what's going on, we're entering negotiations with the Taliban. So that is not, you know, what's gone on 73 years ago on the starboard side midship of the Missouri with an unconditional surrender. That's what that is, is a strategy of surrender. You know, we are trying to bow out like we did in Vietnam and, and make those that, you know, wasted lives, money, time, uh, in the political capital of, you know, worldwide, you know, we're not respected, uh, in, so I, I'm not a proponent of just fighting to fight, you know, when we fight, it must be effective. And, you know, our strategy, you know, again, you know, I'm not criticizing the frontline foot soldiers, but the strategy that has been implemented, the one that was crafted by General Petraeus and endorsed, also signed off by the commanding general of the Marine Corps Combat Development Command in 2005, which at the time was Lieutenant General Jim Mattis, uh, this counterinsurgency, I uh, mean, read that manual and, you know, it's art of being nice to people. And, you know, that'll work in, like the British utilize it effectively in Argentina at the time when when a nation wants uh, prosperity and they want something better, that can be effective. But when, you know, we're trying to prop up democracy in a place that wants Sharia law, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, just, I just don't want to pay the tab. You know, and I don't think that America should pay the tab. They, they should wake up and listen to true experts, not... I remember they special operations command when we first stood up Marsoc was bringing this clown Mortensen around with the three cups of tea book and uh, they found <laughs> you know, it was a complete sham. Yeah, yeah, he it was a fake. Was it was liar. Fake. But uh, you know, there's a time and a place for you know that, but that uh, in Afghanistan, I mean, I'm not going to go into some of our special operations tactics and collection measures, but you know, you meet with the tribal elders and you know those are but they are They're the oldest people in the tribe, but they ain't, there's a shadow government that's really in control. And, uh, you know, we just have not utilized an effective strategy there and that, that needs to change. So I feel like in a lot of ways, what we're talking about right now is, um, 
sort of a reflection of what was going on in the, in the U.S. military in the aftermath of the Vietnam War. And a, a lot of people who weren't there at the time don't understand just like how bad off our military was after we fought that, you know, very unpopular war here at home. And it was, and it was a brutal war abroad. I mean, we lost, you know, 50,000 some odd troops and God only knows how many Vietnamese killed. Uh, and it took the military quite a while to get back on its feet. And now, now we've been fighting this sustained war in Afghanistan and Iraq and, in some ways also everywhere else um, for, you know, going on, you know, 18 years. Yes. And, you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I started a business and that taught me a lot of things that you, you have expenses and you have revenues, your net profit, and you, you have to be smart about this or you're going to fail. Yeah. And uh, I went, went off to graduate school and it reinforced at graduate business school, you know, what I was learning as an entrepreneur. And I will say this, and this is a very, it hits a nerve with me and I'm not trying to criticize, you know, make war to be profit and loss, but, and I'm not trying to say I'm some Guderian and quote in Sun Tzu, but you know, Sun Tzu, you know, hammered it out that, you know, long, prolonged wars are never in the best interest, you know, for any country. So, you know, we have a, this long war that we're in right now. And when you look at it from a business model that in Vietnam, and pardon me for trying to just put things in general terms, because I realize I'm talking about human lives and I, I stood up a charity for Gold Star Family. So this means a lot to me when I say this, and I'm not trying to be unemotional, but Vietnam, as you mentioned, we lost over 50,000 in here in these two wars along with other wars around the globe that were just continuing to fight to fight, you know, that we have this concept of the golden hour. Yeah. And what that is, is if, you know, airman, soldier, sailor, Marine gets wounded, we generally have plans to get that, you know, injured casualty off the battlefield and into an operating table within an hour. We didn't have the, I mean, we've had things, you've all watched MASH and we've, there's been great efforts, but now that's like a axiom that we either have this or we won't, you know, go unless it's an extreme case. Uh, so I would say, you know, the 7,000 killed in action in the tens of thousands that we've had in the last 18 years, those, we would have had more deaths in these wars than we did in Vietnam. And people think, you know, the Vietnam casualty count was so high. Now I'm going to talk about the business model because we've had a lot more brutal injuries, you know, and I'm not talking in the, uh, when you also add up the, the addiction to opioids that the VA prescribes and the counseling and suicide, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the cost of all that enduring from the VA and, you know, the, the guys who get injured and maimed, you know, that the, and there's, there's funds, a large sum is transferred if guys lose eyes, ears. That if you calculate the cost of that, and can America continue not just to have men and women brutally burned and maimed, and I mean, in the psychological, when you've heard one of your lads, you know, scream in agony because he's been burnt, or you've seen, you know, the, you know, the mujahideen that, that shit on these, you know, artillery projectiles that blast and tear in and 
and contaminate you know inside of a human being and you know they have to amputate i mean it's it's horrible and but we're not effectively winning it and we're they're bleeding us dry and when you really look at the global picture right now what the capabilities are with china and russia and cyber threats and you know we've been horsing around yep. with people exactly that use homemade explosives and they use Kalashnikovs and we haven't been effective. So, and it was Bin Laden's strategy from the get go was to lure us into a protracted conflict and, and wear us down yeah. by attrition. Beat us out. And that's just what happened with the Russians in the eighties with Reagan, you know, and it was, uh, in a way it was brilliant, but this right now we have to, we're at a decision point, you know, and people, Oh no, well, you follow money, you trace things back and, you know, all these weapon systems are made in all 50 states, and it's such a big racket, like Smedley Butler wrote about. Yep. And now it's it's an even far exponentially higher scale of the money that's spent. You know, the trillion, I mean, it's the largest thing that we spend our money on. So as a business owner, you have to look like, what's the most that we spend our money on? Let's examine this. Let's break it down. And how did it get that way? Who's telling us that we, well, you know, the reason, I mean, does anybody think that I mean, my ex-wife, she's still in the Marine Corps, you know, and I believe, you know, women have a great role, but when, when we're losing a war, we want to push, push, you know, females in special operations, Oh, touchy subject here, but you know, we have to find a more effective way. I'm not saying people can't be patriotic and can't serve, but we need to find a better way to doing what we're doing to, to shoot straighter, run faster, pick up somebody that's wounded and, and get them cared for and, and accomplish the mission. But, you know, we start, we start putting in some things that just, you know, are, are known, you know, to be less effective. And it's just like, you think, Hey, why are you going down this rabbit trail? I'll tell you why here. Because when somebody, you know, when they want, you know, a second career for a guy like me is, you know, starting your own business or, you know, doing something on a small scale. I, I don't have three or four stars when I, you know, will retire. And, you know, those guys, they want, and they will compromise because they need what, what they need is that money for planes. So they'll listen to whatever Gillibrand, Hirono or McCaskill, these people say, or have said in the past. And because they are, they approve this stuff in the House Armed Service Committee and the Senate Armed Service Committee approves the promotions of these folks. So, you know, they want people to be promoted because those are the guys that they're going to go back to when they're retired and they're going to go back to the Pentagon on behalf of Boeing and yep. Lockheed and General Dynamics. And, and they're not making some pocket change or couch change. They're, they're making bankroll they're buying mansions out in fairfax virginia and they're driving a jaguar yeah well it's not just fairfax i mean these people think on a scale that none of us do and they have homes not just there in the beltway but they have something up in the hamptons or down in florida i mean they yeah we don't think about that we don't think you know boats and hey if you're going to need my presence that's a first class plane ticket and you know contact some of these people and see i mean it is like a celebrity lifestyle. I mean, Robin Leach would blush about, you know, how these guys, you know, get around. It's a, anyway. And it's all uh, predicated upon deploying soldiers to fight a useless or, you know, an unwinnable war indefinitely. 
I mean, that's that's the right. immoral and unethical aspect of it. I mean, it's not necessarily wrong for an American industrialist to help the United States win a war. But when it's just this grind that goes on forever and these guys are getting rich by stuffing dollar bills or, or maybe I should say hundred dollar bills into their pockets every day, that's immoral and unethical. Yes. And you're right. I mean, I'm the first one to advocate and people accuse me in a court of law during our Marsoc trial of being a gear queer. <laughs> and I'm all about technology because you you must use technology or you'll be destroyed by it. You have to innovate and advance, and that is necessary. But how we have, you know, made it a cottage industry a is, system, yeah. is entirely different. Yes. Fred, this has been an amazing episode of this podcast, and I think if any of the staff officers in our military or pretty much anyone in Washington, D.C., certainly our politicians listen to this podcast, I think they're going to have a freaking stroke in their chair. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves. Yeah, yeah really we do. <clears throat> look in the mirror and say, honestly, you know, is what he's saying the truth? I mean, you know, we see, I mean, look at the guys coming in the Pentagon pushing these programs. You know, you have, I mean, look at who makes F-35 and they want to sell that to a version of that to, to China, the People's Republic of China. And I mean, these, look at the names of the, you know, check that out. Just research it. Look at the names of the board members, you know, yeah. research the F-35 and look and, you know, see, they, there's intentions to sell that thing to our enemies and look at all the board members you'll find, you know, head of, you know, Naval intelligence and all that. I mean, these people know better. Oh, yeah. It, it actually they, goes all the way back I mean, to Richard Secord, who is involved in some of the early tech transfers during the Clinton administration. Yeah, it's this is reality. And, you know, it's it is driven. You know, Smedley Butler was talking about, you know, how these companies are just you know feeding on greed, you know, and it's a conflict of interest to, you know, those who are fighting the war. But now we're, we're willing, and, and these are senior military officers and senior leaders, you know, on the civilian sector of the Department of Defense and Homeland Security. I mean, just that instance alone, just have your listeners look up the F-35 program, the most advanced fighter, you know, fifth generation fighter that, you know, the United States has. And you know, we have intentions to develop a, a version for the Chinese. And it's and it's national suicide for no other reason than greed. Yeah. Their purpose of us doing that, the Chinese are not our friends. And we, I mean, the future is America and China. And, you know, one is going to rise to the top and want to dominate. And it's been stated. This is not. Hyperbole. Yeah, they say this, so outright. You know, yeah. Read their plan. And it's, it is. You know, something I'm deeply involved at presently uh, in in my research, it's uh, it's a serious, serious situation. I'd, I'd like to have you back on another time to talk about that, uh, about China, the rise of China, um, because that's something that I'm also very, very interested in. And uh, that's kind of getting into the next fight, what's over the next horizon. And, and I think we both know that. But uh, America has been slow to wake up to that fact. Yes, it's not just economic uh, with China and uh, Love to talk about it more, and I'll make sure everything's kept at an unclassified level. And it's uh, it's something that America really needs to understand. And uh, 
these people who are experts like Dr. Michael Pillsbury. He's great. Pick up a, yeah, some of some of these people really know what's going on. And they're smart people, and they're not just out there perpetuating myths. The uh, the hundred year marathon that, is his book. That's worth reading. Yes, yeah. yes, and you 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 read that and you wonder, okay, why have we been wasting <laughs> over a trillion dollars in places like Iraq and Afghanistan when that's gotten us? You know, it hasn't gotten us any further down the field, and we. You know, in the military, they always talk about metrics and data and measurements of effectiveness. And, you know, wait a second. How come when we use all this analysis, this has gotten us nowhere? Well, they're a partner long term. And, hey, uh, be honest, be honest, you know, because, you know, the the people of America, you know, there's so many distractions in American life. And people aren't listening to programs such as yours and reading things that are, that are factual. And, uh, you know, some people, you know, China and Russia and other surrogates of theirs, you know, there's a, you know, the, the North Korea's, there's still a, a huge threat that is, a, you know, on the payroll of, you know, the people's Republic of China. And, you know, that's, it's going on. People are trying to, as, as you well know, people are trying to buy governments, yep. mainly the Chinese for their, you know, buy resources from all across, you know, Asia, the Pacific, especially. They, they want to push South. us out of South Korea, push us out of the Philippines, push us out of Japan. Yes, it's, it is a, it's something that, you know, it's deeply in what I'm, uh, what I'm involved in right now. So love to talk about it. more. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to set that aside for, uh, another podcast because it's such a huge, huge yeah. topic. Yeah. This definitely sounds like it to be continued, uh, from here. I, I had one last question to ask you actually, uh, before we wrap things up, you were kind of hinting at it, uh, earlier on the interview, but I, I didn't want to, you know, get into a side tangent here, but I figure we'll get into it now a little bit. Um, you're talking about war crimes in different parts of the military I'm sure you're familiar with it. I, I just wanted to hear your take on what's going on with Chief Eddie Gallagher, former Navy SEAL. A very different case from yours because these are fellow Navy SEALs accusing him of war crimes, but I just wanted to hear what you think of it. You know, it's interesting you brought that up. <clears throat> I'm, I haven't been deeply involved in the case. I've seen it in the, the headlines. And that caused me to say, hey, you know what? I, I have a very good close friend. Uh, for, you know, since the start of the war, we went, he's a frogman, uh, retired Navy SEAL officer, and we went to a, a school, uh, the Tactical Air Control Party, to learn how to control airstrikes. Uh, that's how we connected many years ago. And he was involved in a war crime allegation, and so we've stayed in touch, and it, it ruined his health. I'm not going to mention his name, but it's these there there's nobody that gets out unscathed when something like yeah. this happens. And so I called my buddy and I said, Hey, tell me what's going on because he's, you know, still closely in tune with the teams. And, uh, you know, let me know, Hey, this is, a uh, inside the teams this is kind of retribution. You know, this seal chief, he was a, his platoon sergeant. He was a hard ass. And, you know, some people didn't like the way he was doing. And so, you know, he, he does some things that people may found questionable, you know, having a reenlistment ceremony near a dead body. And, uh, you know, let's not confuse, you know, some things that may be 
imprudent as far as judgment in right. today's modern era with a war crime that somebody could, I mean, you know, I born and raised and retired and went back to Kansas and you got a Marine or excuse me, an army soldier, uh, sitting in prison for 20 years based on what somebody said verbally. And, you know, he had to make a split second decision and a guy who's coming after him in a motorcycle and one of his soldiers fired, uh, you know, but he authorized a shot. And one of our writers you know, so, is working on that story actually. Yeah. And so what, you know, my, my case is when, when you talk about chief Eddie Gallagher and these other people have to make split second decisions or they may, you know, show, but then you look at the macro issue of our department of defense and the sons and daughters of America that have to make decisions. Are, are we going to have the best quality of, I mean, what are the jobs that people get the, the most, the, the future is like information technology. And, you know, we need smart people that can do stuff like that effectively in the military that are enthusiastic and want to go to work. But, you know, what are we going to be left with when the best, the people who are, you know, well-educated and they, you know, research things, they read newspapers, they keep in tune with subjects and they see that like, wow, these guys are getting railroaded. Do I want to send my son? No, they're going to yeah. totally discourage. They're going to push that child into a college program far away from ever having to serve in the military because they know that the military doesn't stand for their own. And that is the moral hazard is when people say things and, you know, those guys in Haditha, that was Jack Murtha. He once was served in the Marine Corps in Vietnam, but I'm talking about, you know, SEAL teammates that would say something like that against, you know, a fellow brother just what? because, you know, it gets tough and you're criticizing, you know, his judgment that now, I mean, when America sees, like you can web search and see Chief Eddie Gallagher and his dress blues shackled like a war criminal being taken into a, you know, a brig at Miramar, California. I mean, the the optics of that, and, you know, does a punishment fit the crime? And yeah, you know, here this guy's being well. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the court martial because if this is true that it's retribution within the teams for you know some some harsh leadership, two seals are about to perjure themselves in a court of law and say that they witnessed yeah. this guy uh, murder a detainee in cold blood. Yeah. So, and you know, I'm not trying. I don't. I don't have the all those details. I know there's things that probably happened or didn't happen that I don't, that I don't have full visibility on. So I'm not trying to say that I, you know, I have a, a crystal ball and, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be something that, you know, the jury members, you know, the one thing though, you know, from my experience is a jury member is not completely unbiased when it's within an organization that, you know, has, especially if they made comments and they've taken action and they've, they've hauled a guy off in jail for pretrial confinement. I mean, that's kind of extreme if they thought this guy was going to run, which I highly doubt that, but I'm not the convening authority, but you know, when people have taken positions, you know, they usually don't want to be criticized for the, the decisions that they made. So, and those are people that influence promotions and assignments. And, um, especially when I'm not, saying it's a crime uh we criticized for saying this was it's what i believe to be the truth when when guys get married and have kids and they're in a system that you know they that can either promote them or not promote them i mean it's oh they have a little bit more true. risk and you know there's that could be influenced a little bit more 
So do you think that's I, a, I a think flaw that within the military court system? I mean, it's supposed to be a jury of your peers. Um, and I guess your peers in this case would be fellow service members rather than civilians though. Yes. You know, I'd, I'd rather it be, um, you know, retired combat veterans, you know, so I'd rather that Eddie Gallagher have, you know, team, you know, people from UDTs and, you know, combat veterans who have, have seen, you know, good and bad because, you know, what you're saying now in today's day and age, you know, maybe somebody that fought, you know, horrible enemies, whether it's Korea or Vietnam or, you know, World War II, you know, who are SEALs or UDT members, they probably have a little bit more understanding of, uh, you know, how our, our, how our enemies, how ruthless they are. And, uh, and they're uninfluenced, but to, you know, I'm just trying to get more of a jury of your peers, people that understand, uh, I'm not trying to say we need leniency, but it needs to be uninfluenced and impartial and unbiased and fair. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. My, my only concern would be that, you know, like say I was a former Ranger, let's say you brought me in on a Rangers court martial. Uh, I think there'd be a, a predilection towards protecting the uh, dignity of the unit. Uh, not tarnishing the unit's image because, you know, that's kind of the unit where I grew up. Um, But I mean, our our justice system is imperfect. I mean, there's (laughs) none of us have quite figured that one out. Yeah. Well, if we can put a man on the moon, you know, we can figure out, you know, lawyers can, I'm not a lawyer, but you know, there's that voir dire process where they try to ensure that there's not this biasness. And, uh, but I think definitely, finding people, you know, there should be a way to find somebody that is do the best agnostic in, in regards to, they don't want to put the institutions, you know, interests above the individual right. that's on trial. Right. And that's in the civilian court. It, that is the, the main thing is you're trying to get somebody that is, you know, in, impartial and has no bias. Right. Uh, that's, that's an interesting thing for military justice. I think, you know, it's, <laughs> That's it's a, good point. a system that is flawed. Yeah. Well, as Jack said earlier, this has definitely been a great episode, eye-opening for a lot of people uh, and very candid. And, and we'll definitely do a uh, fourth appearance from you and, and probably more in the future. Yeah. Uh, and the next time focus more on China. It sounds like it'd be a great discussion. Yeah, I'd love it. And thank you so much, Ian and Jack. You guys have, uh, you know, had the courage, and I'll make some comparisons. Some other media sources, they, they'll print some things, some won't. But some have taken 18 months, and every editor on their staff to review things is so cautious. And I mean, you guys look at the facts when I give you declassified courtroom information. I mean, you, uh, you guys have done a tremendous job at uncovering the facts and then in more detail through news rep than any other source that's out there. And I encourage the listeners that they, Nick Kaufman has written all these articles about the Marsoc seven. If, if people want to, you know, know the facts and read what came out of a courtroom, it was largely closed to the media. When you see all those transcripts that say secret, no foreign at the top, that's everything that the media didn't hear, which means that when you read about this thing, I'm like, that was just a gun battle. Why is this classified? Yeah. That was my question. And, um, well, that's that was a military court process that the media continually get kept getting ushered out to, and you think like how 
what kind of picture did that paint of these guys when everything that was declassified and that had the media there was negative, was completely one-sided and slanderous. I mean, how, how did these guys get pictured, painted in the media? And that's why we couldn't get jobs afterwards. It's very destructive. Guys got cancer and diabetes and, and unemployment. And the, you know, that is uh, something that has terribly affected us. And you guys, I'm not just giving you mad props. You guys have done so much. When I say 220 pages, I mean, that's like a, a word document page. Yeah, like Nick, Nick did all the information. On that. But, yeah. And uh, yeah, I sent Nick a, you know, a recon paddle. Uh, <laughs> just uh, sent me awesome. a thing. I just said, that, you know, now that we are exonerated and it's been substantiated by the Pentagon, you know, I really, you know, I owe a lot because uh, he increased awareness. You know, when we had a, a bill up there in Congress, not a bill, but a House resolution, uh, you guys were covering that, you know, from the, you know, the courtroom. That was a uh, very helpful in you know, raising awareness and, you know, a, a call to action across America that, that was effective, you know, and very, very rarely is a, you know, you know, guy from the trenches, you know, that's a bootstrapping some idea or business, you know, you know, lit, led to something like this, but, you know, this was a complete success. And, uh, you know, they, I just encourage you guys to get your hands on that 12 page Pentagon report and see what they're really talking about. It's, it's very eye opening and shocking. Thank you, Fred, so much. And, uh, you know, the next time we have you on, we'll talk about some of these geostrategic issues and um, we can, you know, put this, you know, controversy to bed. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you and you and the men of uh, MARSAC are going to be able to move on from this. And uh, we'd start talking about some more important things. Yeah, sounds good. And thank you again. Ian and Jack. Yeah, sorry, I don't mean more important. This is important, but you, you know what I mean, Fred. <laughs> yeah, macro issues. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, you know what's uh, interesting is is talking about the review process for stuff. It reminded me just seeing on uh, Instagram, totally separate issue, but I saw that Jack Carr, who we had in here, Navy SEAL, he's trying to put out his follow-up uh, fic- fiction novel, and there, you know, the review process is holding up that book from coming out. He had a release date and everything. Now he's to push it back. And it's just always a long review process for everything. You know, my, my, like my experience with that. And yeah, some of these guys who hold security clearances or continue to, they, they put their books, even fiction books through DOD review. Uh, my experience with DOD review is that it's, it's politicized. Yeah. You know, if you're putting out something that makes DOD look good, they'll have that back to you in a week. If uh, you're saying something that maybe they don't want out there, they're going to just sit on it. Um, They went through, I submitted an article through DOD review um, because the people I interviewed, uh, they requested I put it through DOD review. I said, sure, yeah, if that's your condition, yeah, we'll we'll do that. Um, DOD dragged their feet, dragged their feet, dragged their feet. And I, I told them, I was like, look, man, it's been like, what, five months or six months or something. And they're like, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. And they got, got it back to me, and I was shocked. They went through and just took a hacksaw to the article. They redacted things that they had previously declassified that are published in another book. I'm like, what the fuck? So I went through um, with a lawyer, and we filed an appeal. And they've been sitting on that appeal for, pro- I mean, we must, we're probably going on two years you know, yeah. at this point. So they're just, it's like I said, it's just politicized. They're just sitting on it 
just because they don't want to deal with it. Of course. Even yeah. though they declassified all that, uh, maybe not all, but the vast majority of it has been previously declassified. And I guess they just don't want me to publish it. I don't know what the deal is, but yeah. My favorite is when I look at Rob O'Neill's book and, and SEAL Team 6 is blacked out every single time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. In the whole book. It's, that's the one thing. It's like redacted everywhere. And then I had a mission with black. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, there are some goofy things that happen. Yeah. Any mention of JSOC, they'll black out. Um, and then, but then there's other things that they'll leave in that are really weird. Um, the CIA, when their public review, review board goes through things, they do weird things too. Sometimes like the term special, what is it that they like? They special operations, they will black out, but special forces they'll let you use. It's, it's weird, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause anybody who listens to what we do or reads up on, I mean, they know what they, they know the terminology, you know? Yeah. It, it, well, like I said, it gets silly. Um, next episode, we have Mark Yablanca coming on, who wrote a great book on Vietnam journalists. That's going to be the next one. Uh, and we have a lot of other good stuff on the horizon. I actually just mentioned Rob O'Neill. He'll be on at some point next month. I mentioned Mike Schlitz. He'll be on next month. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so we have a lot of good stuff on the horizon. Um, before we, and, and actually I'd like to hear just from Mike, what it was like to attend a Super Bowl. I'm not I, even... I'm, I'm not even to, an NFL fan, but it'd be interesting just to know the whole atmosphere and all. That. I need to sit down also and make a list of other people I like to have on, yeah, and uh, and start and reach out to some people. I'm I'm working on a few different uh, people here and there, but yeah, okay. we've, March is is mainly open, and yeah, I mean it, it's funny because I was talking about this with Brandon Webb yesterday, and more and more. It's less me reaching out and a lot of people coming to us yeah. that want to come on. And it just shows we have, how popular. We have more people reaching out to us than we have time, than we're able to schedule. Yeah, and if they're good, you know, we'll get the, like Mark Yablanka. He came to us and was interested, and I and looked he, at the book. and It's really cool. Yeah, so that type of stuff just shows that the, the show is growing and it's, you know, has a bigger reach, and I love to see that. It makes, it makes my job easier, to be honest, but it's also uh, just compliments what we do, so... Wrapping things up here, though, be sure to check out Crate Club. We have different tiers of membership, depending on how prepared you want to be. And gift options are available as well. Scott Whitner from the Loadout Room, Army Ranger Drew Wallace, who you've heard on the show, and all the other guys from Hurricane involved with Crate Club are putting together great gear, 100% custom made for us. Everything from sunglass cases to EDC bags and other manly products. It's a club for men, by men, you can check that all out at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us. Also, as a reminder for those listening, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel. That's our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops channel premiere show Training Cell follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel at specopschannel.com. Take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. And this is uh, pure speculation, but just from a conversation I had yesterday, there may be in the future some like new content coming there. I know for, you know, it's a lot of 
older stuff that some of you haven't seen, some of you have seen. We may be shooting new stuff in the future. Oh, cool. I don't know. This is speculation. Speculation? <laughs> Do you know something that I don't it's, know, It's Ian? something I heard. That, that's all. But uh, it, it'd be cool to see some new content there. But if you're not a member, there's hours upon hours of great content. So specopschannel.com. Sign up today. Last, the News Rep Financial Report. Exclusive information that you can act on today to secure a brighter future for tomorrow. It's funny that we're talking about defense industry stuff, but you know it, it's an important thing to keep up on. Defense industry stocks can be a lucrative investment if you buy at the right time. Our team of foreign policy, security, and military experts provide real-time intelligence for stocks based on global trends that affect financial markets in the national defense industry. Uh, if you listen back to our episodes with uh, Joe Lefebvre or Stavros, we get into that a little bit further. By subscribing now, you'll get exclusive access to our industry expertise, the NewsRep Financial Newsletter Advantage. Our team offers unmatched defense industry familiarity and expertise, unbiased knowledge of geopolitical trends, full access to NewsRep's foreign policy, security, and financial intelligence platform, access to our team of experts and analysts. And you can check that all out on the FinRep tab at the top of the newsrep.com. It's separate from signing up for a NewsRep membership. So you'll just want to click on that FinRep tab and sign up at the newsrep.com. And also, if you haven't checked out the Power of Thought podcast, our latest guest was Jeff Nicholson, uh, who's one of the heads of VaynerMedia. And I didn't realize this because I, I, you might know that we're partnering with VaynerMedia for some stuff. I didn't realize it, it's Gary Vaynerchuk's company. You didn't know that? I know. I, I just heard the name VaynerMedia. I didn't make the connection. <laughs> I had no idea. So, you know, it's cool to know that and to know that we have that connection. And, and Jeff Nicholson's story is pretty cool because he was one of the first guys hired by Gary Vaynerchuk. So, uh, yeah, go look up the Power of Thought podcast. That was a great one. going to have Carl Louise on the next episode, which I'm looking forward to. Pre-order my book. Yes, pre-order. It comes out April 23rd. So right um, around the corner. Yeah, man. it's coming up on us fast. Um, we're finalizing all the like little details of the book right now, the picture inserts and all that kind of good stuff. And at the end, towards the end of the month, this month, um, I'll be narrating the audiobook. That's a process. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a grind. As someone who's narrated audiobooks. I, I I've think, done two so far. I've done two and a half. Because one was a revised edition of a previous. How, how book. long does it take to do a whole book? Like a like couple weeks? It's hard to say because it, it depends on the amount of time you're putting in. Uh, the, the way I would just well, I would put it though, for like every hour of actual audio content, if you're not, I I was gonna say it takes about four hours for every hour, but you're not editing it, you're not no. doing that process. So I would say. For every hour, it's going to take you about two to three hours. Really? Yeah, because you're going to want to get it perfect, and yeah, it it is. You've seen it even just reading things here and there. It's tough to get it perfect. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, the, to, for me, the editing stuff. But if you have an engineer there in studio, you're going to notice that that they catch mistakes you don't catch. Sure, sure. And when I record, I, I listen back to the and audio. I have my own like weird lisps and mispronunciations <laughs> and things like that. People, I remember people commenting on on you and I going back and forth on schism and schism. Schism. <laughs> I was, schism I still, schism I, is, is archaic, but it correct. Is, yeah, I remember we looked it up. But I, <laughs> I still insist that everybody says schism. I, I have actually caught a lot of people, though. This is one I catch people say all the time, uh, is 
that the word is hyperbole. Hyperbole. People yeah. say hyperbole all the time. Oh, because it reads that way. Yeah, it reads hyper. Yeah. I remember a college professor who said hyperbole. Epitome. Epitome. Yeah. yeah. Does that, epitome. Does anybody say that? There, there's there's always those words like that. I, I pronounce Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda. Really? Okay. Uh, no, I don't. Oh, yeah. I, there you but there, there should be a QU, right? Well, Al-Qaeda. When, when we used to have um, Derek on, he would always say Boko Raham instead of Boko Haram. And it's funny because he's an expert on the subject, but he always would say Boko Raham. So. Uh, uh, God damn it. Al-Qaeda's. <laughs> Those Al-Qaeda's are out there. They're trying to get us. Um, but yeah, man, Murphy's Law. It's up for pre-order. The, the audio book is up for pre-order already, even though we haven't recorded it yet. But yeah. we will, unless I get hit by a meteorite. Um, <laughs> so it's all coming along. I'm, I'm excited for it. You also, keep in mind, wrote the book. So you're yeah. not going to have that issue of, uh, I've had the issue. Where like, I don't know what's in my own book. Yeah, well, I don't know what this word is. I, there, I spend a lot of time Googling. Because, uh, I mean, you guys might know, I've mentioned anything on the podcast, the, the last audio book that I narrated was a raw vegan audio book. So there are tons of foods in there I never heard of. This, is, of- this is a little embarrassing. Uh, I, if on my end, I had my uh, editor, um, a wonderful woman, d- doing a super job. She comes back to me after reading the manuscript, and she's like, Jack, what does balls defilade mean? <laughs> I'm like, oh, boy. And I, I think I, I, I had to, like, tactfully... Uh, explain defilade is a is a tactical term describing the low ground. Okay, you know, yeah. I mean, it's uh, not everybody's going to know all these. Yeah, terms, all these so. these these these. Uh, I certainly don't. Crass military. Time, I'm like, what the fuck? Are you military about? euphemisms. Yeah, <laughs> colorful metaphors. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been put in the know of like a lot of different acronyms. Um, you know, because of this show, I'll be the first to admit I don't read every single book of the people that we have. I, on the re- show. I read it's as tough, many man. of them as I can. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, I mean, like some sometimes we just don't have I don't have time. I also I'll be like the first to admit I have a very uh, I'm not quite like like him, but I have like a Larry King style of interviewing where if you watch old Larry King interviews, he's. He's great. He gets great information out of the people. But half the time, you're like, Larry King doesn't even know who the fuck he's speaking <laughs> to. Like, he doesn't He doesn't even know what, like, he, but but he still manages. If you ask the right questions, you'll get people to open up sure. about stuff. But sometimes I'm like, he clearly has no knowledge oh. of the subject. I am sometimes that guy. And it's, Larry it's all right. King also speaks to a very broad mainstream audience. And this podcast is more of a niche audience. And they kind of expect us to. Yeah. yeah. Well, you that's know, why you're here. Yeah. Well, well thank you. I'm not the uh, expert by any means. You know, in they're, anything. They're, they're, My they're, expertise is in 80s hair metal. I'm, <laughs> that, that's what I'm an expert in. I'm, I'm not a military expert. My favorite was when Larry King interviewed uh, Roseanne. And he was like, the internet as a uh, viable means for political discourse. Is is it is this the future? And uh, he admitted that he's never used the internet. Really? He's like the wife loves it. What do, what do you do? The you, wife loves. He it. was like you, you hit little <laughs> buttons. <laughs> She's like really you host this show. And I never, uh, used never used it. I was at a, a friend's birthday party with a uh, uh, cinematographer that my wife works with, and uh, actually I was trying to convince her to come on the podcast uh, because I was like we don't have enough female representation because there just aren't. 
very many female soft veterans no. yet. There, I mean, I think there will be in twenty years, but there aren't right now. I was trying. I was like, we need some, we need some girl power. If you want to come on, and we can uh, shoot the shit. We get female combat veterans though. We'll have yeah, Amber, yeah. Amber Smith, who just uh, had a kid. Maybe we'll get her. Oh, back did she? Yeah. Good, congratulations, Amber. That's awesome. Um, but no, we still don't have like very many. It's not like a deliberate discriminatory sort of thing. It's just. You know, until very recently, women have not been permitted in combat arms. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this podcast 20 years from now will probably have a lot more women on because of that. Because uh, now you think there'll be a software radio and t- what would it be? It would be 2039. Uh, Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i almost like of the mind, like I'll just do this out of spite just a lot because it pisses people <laughs> off, you know. Um, so, I, I mean, I'll probably still be flapping my gums you know, 20, 40 years from now. <laughs> You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.